Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us. My name is Terry Oved. If anyone has any questions or comments, my email is terry, T-E-R-R-Y, at oved.com, O-V-E-D. This class is dedicated, Leilu Nishmat, Avi, Mori, Verabi, Mordechai, Ben Menashe, Oved. It is also dedicated to those who are in need of Parnassah, Rifu'ah, or Zivug. May the merit of our learning right in the middle of a workday help them each obtain what they lack and need. Amen. Lax Swiss Torah portion, Bishalach, Exodus 4, Jackson 5, was very dramatic, action-packed. If not for this parsha, no one would ever know who Charlton Heston is. Shortly after being visited by the 10th in a series of consecutive, incrementally devastating, destructive, and deadly plagues, Paro, the king of Egypt, finally relents and allows the children of Israel to leave after 210 years of genocidal slavery, only to have a sudden change of heart immediately thereafter and order his vast and superbly equipped armies to chase the fleeing Israelites to force their return to Egypt. Thus pursued, the newly liberated Israelites find themselves trapped on all fronts, Having Pharaoh's army approaching menacingly behind them, the desert to their sides, the earth below and the sea ahead. Terrified and trapped, they somehow still managed to ever so poetically complain to Moses. Are there no graves in Egypt that you have taken us to die in the desert? Moses prays and God answers. Have the people go forward into the sea, promising Moshe that after this final curtain call, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. As soon as the first Israelite follows God's instruction and walks into the water, incidentally, this was Nachshon ben Aminadav, who was subsequently rewarded for his faith and courage by being appointed the leader of his tribe of Judah. The sea splits to allow the Israelites to pass through and then miraculously shuts over the massive pursuing Egyptian army. Relieved, Moshe and the children of Israel sing a song of praise and thanks to God. Lesson, always express gratitude for favors done you. Now in the desert, having exhausted the food supply they brought with them from Egypt, when they were chased out, the Israelites again complained to Moses that they are suffering from thirst and hunger, where they are previously successful and now all too familiar refrain of, why did you take us to this desert to starve us here? Moses again prays and God again responds, this time by miraculously causing man to rain down from the heavens before dawn each morning and quails to appear in the Israelite camp each evening. For the next 40 years, that the Israelites travel in the desert on every day except Shabbat, a portion of man rains down from the heaven. In order to provide them with sustenance on the Shabbat day, on Friday, a double portion of man arrived, one for Friday and one for Shabbat. This incidentally is the reason we have two laws of challah on Friday night during our sanctification of this day, in order to remember and commemorate this miracle. The Torah is not a storybook. These events are related to us for a reason, and so, what can we learn from these events that happened once upon a time in a land far, far away? The first is, once you make a decision, accept it. Don't second guess yourself. Review, analyze, conduct due diligence, verify, seek comment, and then decide. But once you have decided, move on. After due deliberation and persuasion, after being struck by 10 devastating plagues over the course of a year, Paro finally made the decision to free the Israelites by relenting and bowing to the mightier hand of God. He should have stuck to it. Even though it was grounded more in fear and a selfish desire for self-preservation, he ought to have abided by his decision. His reluctance to trust himself and his initial instincts had permanent and devastating consequences for Egypt. Because once its armies were decimated at the sea, 
It immediately lost and never regained its military superiority and economic dominance in the region. Listen to the Pasuk. For as you see Egypt again, you will not see them again till eternity. The lesson is clear. Don't place a question mark where God has placed a period. The next and equally important lesson is that sometimes in life there appears to be nowhere to go. All avenues seem closed, all roads blocked, as at the sea. Yet remarkably, the one direction the Israelites did not look was up. Yet that was precisely the direction from whence their salvation came. But faith alone is never enough. It must be coupled with action, some affirmative act that evidences a desire to better your position, regardless of whether a particular outcome is assured. God waits for us to do what we can so that he can do what we can't. And that is why the miracle of the sea splitting did not occur until someone actually marched right into it, putting his life where God's mouth was, so to speak. There's always a way to get to the other side. The related lesson within this lesson is that true leaders are always born in the breach, not safely after it. They are forged by fire through their actions, not their words. Of the millions of Jews at the Red Sea at that moment, only one did not hesitate when it came time to act. While others were engaged with tears, fears, or the paralysis of analysis, he alone distinguished himself and in one heroic act, saved himself, his people, and by extension us. Proving once again, that it is never our circumstances that cause us to be victims or victors. It is our choices. What also becomes painfully clear from this episode is that true leaders require patience, lots of it. This principle is remarkably exemplified by Moses, who would have been justified had he chosen to chastise the Israelites for their constant lack of faith in the face of undeniable miracles. Yet he did not. And despite his heroism and fortitude that he evinced in taking them out of Egypt in bondage, it is his attribute of patience and compassion towards them that the Torah records as his most exemplary. Another lesson that becomes readily apparent is that one should never recklessly ignore or deliberately place himself directly adverse to someone or something whose power he is unaware. The entire episode of the Exodus did not have to go down the way it did. Paro brought it about himself and his people by uttering by what are probably the most regrettable words ever uttered. When in response to Moshe's command to let the people go to serve Hashem, he hoidily replied, Me, Hashem, Asher, Ishma, Bikolo. Who is this God that I should listen to him? Lo yadati et Hashem. I do not know Hashem. Why add that second part, Paro? If Paro would have just said the first part, Mi Hashem, Asher, Ishma, Bikolo. Who is God that I should listen to his voice and left it at that? He may have been forgiven his trespass. There are many who do not heed the word of God and fail to recognize his dominance and even sometimes work in direct contravention to it. Yet they and their nation are not visited with 10 plagues. But Paro took it too far, an unnecessary and fatal error. He hoidily set himself directly opposite Hashem, throwing down a gauntlet, so to speak, that Hashem had to say, Ah, oh, Paro, now you've done it. You've gone ahead and made it personal. Hashem despises haughtiness. He cannot coexist with the arrogant. You don't know who I am, Paro. You really don't know who I am. Okay, I guess I'm going to have to show you exactly who I am. And in fact, if you pay attention throughout the entire book of Shemot, right up to this parsha Bishalach, Hashem constantly repeats to Moshe over and over again the reason for the plagues. And the hardening of Paro's heart is so that the Egyptians shall know that I am God. And as if to close out this tragic parenthesis opened by Paro, 
Isn't it interesting that at Kriyat Yamsuf, as he, as he is about to utterly annihilate once and for all the entire Egyptian army, Hashem adds one more time, as if right on cue, that by this act, the lesson is glaringly apparent, and we ignore it at our peril. Never set yourself up against a force whose power you are unfamiliar with, especially if that force is Hashem. And if you do, at least don't make it personal. Finally, and this is my favorite, is that it would have been easy for the Almighty to have the Israelites turn around at the sea, go back and face their oppressors on dry land. After all, had he not just visited upon the Egyptians 10 humiliating, debilitating, and crippling plagues, which brought them to their knees and forced them to actually chase the Israelites out of Egypt? How dare they forget that so quickly? Was not the stench of their countless firstborn dead still not putrefying their air? Why did he not just tell Moshe to have the Israelites turn around, go back, and fight the Egyptians in a battle in, he, in which he would have certainly assured their victory? Hashem yelachem lachem v'atem tachrishun. God will fight for you, and you will remain silent. The lesson is poetry. God was teaching them, and thereby us, that when you leave a place of misery, you do not go back. When you depart from darkness, from a place of oppression, you do not revert. Whenever you have left a bad business deal, a bad partner, a bad wife, a bad husband, a bad spouse, a bad job, a bad luck, a bad fill in your particular bad blank here, you never go back. You don't go back to a place of desolation, devastation, and despair. When something dies in your life, you don't die with it. Instead, what does the Torah teach us? Advance boldly, confidently, with conviction. Even if it is through a sea you must trudge without a vest, a vest, a raft, or a lifeboat to, guard, to safeguard you, better to go forward into the unknown water and place your faith in God than go backwards and place your faith in a dreadfully known past. For the same reason that the front windshields of our cars is so much larger than the rear view mirror. Because where we are going is always so much more important than where we've been. Thank you. Yom Tov.